Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Well, we have a win to talk about, Jesse. How excited are you about that? I think the fans should probably be more excited because they're tired of us talking about the team losing six out of seven games and saying the same thing. Yeah, unfortunately, though, we're going to have to talk about some of the same things, too. We will. Um, while it was a win, Badgers go on the road, beat Ohio State 65-60, to kept coming after it. Three straight losses, including last Saturday uh, against Illinois, in which stirring comeback to get a one-point lead and then watch Illinois go on a 22-4 to run. Um, not ideal. That's just kind of where Wisconsin was at the point in the season. Um, but luckily enough for them against Ohio State, we're going to talk about the Ohio State game. Um, I'd rather focus on that one just because it was a win, and we have talked about so many losses of late. So we'll focus on the win. Uh, they went down to Columbus, two desperate teams. Wisconsin lost 6-7 of seven coming in. Ohio State, I believe, had one win in their last eight games. So it was two desperate teams uh, vying for 11th and 12th place in the conference. And Wisconsin does a really good job in the first half, scores 43 points, takes a 16-point lead into the break, and had a 15-point lead with seven minutes left and then did not make another shot. They did not did not make a shot in the final 7-18. It didn't matter, though, because that lead was big enough and their defense did enough to get them the win. We'll get into a lot of it, Jesse, but just when you're watching that last stretch, what were you thinking? My God, can the Badgers hang on? Because uh, I don't know what uh, I almost felt worse for the fans. I <laughs> think I say this is the kind of team where uh, you may not have any cuticles left on your fingernails because there's so many tight ball games, but they desperately needed that one. And yeah, it was hideous <laughs> in the last seven plus minutes. But all that matters is to get a win on the road in Big Ten play, even if it's against a a reeling Ohio State team that's now 11 and 11 overall and 3 and 8 in the Big 10. They absolutely had to have it to have any shot of turning around the season and they got it uh even though it was about as ugly as they come. Yeah, they needed it. They're 5 and 6 in conference play. This is the hilarious thing about the Big 10. It's amazing actually. Wisconsin is 5 and 6 and they are a game out of fourth place. They're 5 and 6. They're currently in a tie for 10th with Penn State at 5 and 6. There are six teams ahead of them that are 6 and 5. And then there's two more teams at 7 and 4, so two games ahead that make up the second and third spots. It's essentially Purdue and everybody else. So as bad as Wisconsin's been in the stretch, they still are not in a horrible position all things considered, right? It's really incredible. They've got nine regular season games left to make the difference between a double bye in the Big 10 tournament and being one of the four worst teams in the league and having to play on the first day, it's remarkable. This is oftentimes you see this in the Big Ten. I think this year it's a little bit different because there was just one team that is the cream of the crop and superior to everybody else with Purdue. But as you said, Illinois and Rutgers are seven and four. That's two games from being where Wisconsin is, which is what, 11th place in the league. So a lot of variance. These teams beat each other up. They're essentially all the same, which is why when Wisconsin plays most of these games, it feels like a toss-up because it is. That's what we've that's what we've seen in conference play. Uh, but this win was was obviously big time because if you if you lose that one, and you're 
you've lost seven out of eight, you're four and seven in the league, and it just feels almost insurmountable, even though it, even then it would still only be a couple game difference between being in a good spot. But I think now this is an opportunity for them to breathe a little bit and try and right the ship here in the last month or so of the regular season. All right, let's talk about the first half. Let's talk about what went right. There was a lot that went right, obviously, including Chris Holtman losing his mind um, <laughs> and getting tossed uh, with a couple of technical fouls that gave Wisconsin four points at the line, and then they they, ended, they finished on an 8-0 run, helped in part by a six-point possession. But before that, um, I thought Connor Seijan and Stephen Crowell were really good. I thought Stephen really established himself inside against a, a bigger body in Zed Key and still you know, managed to start, I think, five for five. And he had some, I don't know what we call it, um, had a little bit of touch around yeah. the basket that maybe we haven't always seen, uh, especially of late. Not not Steven, but just in general for Wisconsin, layups have been a bit of an issue. And shots around the basket. We're going to get into that conversation, I, I know. Wisconsin started hot, and that's a big deal. And obviously, Ohio State was able to erase that pretty quickly, but that's important for Wisconsin, especially for a team that struggled offensively. And we should mention, while we don't want to talk on, about the Wisconsin-Illinois game, it was 2016 at halftime in that in that game. That was the lowest scoring first half in the Big Ten all season. Um, so that sort of sums up what we've seen from Wisconsin basketball of late. So for them to have an 8-0 spurt in the first 94 seconds and force Ohio State to call timeout, I thought was really important. Connor Seijan got going early, and he was coming off a game where he didn't play very well against Illinois obviously nobody really did but it's about being consistent with a, a when you're a true freshman you learn how to do that he had a 19 point game which was a career high he had five straight games and double figures and then he has a poor game against Illinois he's hot right away so he's got five points against Ohio State he winds up with a team high 17 but to your point Stephen Crowell was responsible for about five out of six field goals that Wisconsin had made field goals right in the middle of the half and a lot of them were inside with really strong post moves and good touch. He's got the lefty move inside. He can score that way. He scored on a hook. He made a three. He dunked. He, he had a strong take. So those are the kind of things that you need from your best big man. And and obviously that was why they had a lot of success earlier in the season because he could play that way. So I thought absolutely for Wisconsin to get off to a hot start and have its best players play well was vital. And we saw why because – a double digit lead was all the way dwindled down to a, a one possession game. So you needed every point you could get in that great first half. Yeah. They shot 51% from the floor in the first half. And I thought it was kind of a continuation from what we saw in the second half from Chucky, who let's just be fair, was, was not good against, I mean, he was barely there against Maryland. We talked about that last week against Illinois. He started, I think, zero for six, and then he caught fire in the second half, and I thought it was kind of a continuation. He wasn't great, but there were a couple. I mean, a couple of the drives, especially the, the little hesitation move uh, to get in uh, for the layup. I think it was the. Uh, it wasn't the last basket. Obviously, that was a, a of the first half. It was a that was a little bit of a turnaround jumper. But there was a, a great drive earlier in the half that he just blew right by guys and, and got to the left side and got the lay in. Do you agree with that? I mean, because he was also a facilitator a bit. Had had a couple. Uh, I think he had three assists in the in the half. It felt like a continuation of good play from him from what we saw against Illinois. Second half against Illinois. I thought he was excellent. And again, Chucky's got to be that alpha male out there on the court where he is the aggressor and he is willing to score. And it kind of came in bunches for him. It's really the last five and a half minutes of that first half. He hits a jumper. 
He buries a three from the left wing. You mentioned that drive that he had. It was about 55 seconds left and gave Wisconsin a 37-27 lead. And obviously the step back, Jay, to end the half to send Wisconsin out on a crazy six-point possession and give the Badgers a 16-point lead. So it's for him, it's all about that attacking mindset. And it doesn't mean that he's got to shoot 20-plus times a game because he is a facilitator. But when he attacks, that obviously draws defenders and allows him to kick out to other players who can score. So uh, that's obviously the kind of Chucky that Wisconsin needs to have success for the stretch run. There has not been a guy probably this year I guess maybe Jordan Davis, but probably not a guy that's been criticized more for his amount of playing time and the things that he's done in that in that playing time than Carter Gilmore. And yet, defensive, especially defensively, I thought last night gave them a lot of good minutes. Um, he played 11 minutes in the first half, and uh, it's not going to show up in the stat sheet uh, a ton, right? He had one rebound, one steal in 11 minutes. Didn't take a shot, nothing like that. But I thought he he was a huge benefit to them on on defense, on uh, especially in the first half and, and in the second half too. Well, if you look, and we've talked about this before, but generally with playing rotations, when you get into the Big Ten, it gets shorter and shorter. You it's start out to... the season. You, well, you start out the season and you got, oh, 10, 11, 12 guys. I'm going to give them all minutes and see how it shakes out. Look at the box score of this game. One player came off the bench from the front court and it was Carter Gilmore and he played 18 minutes. And so, Absolutely. They were vital. It's a, a lot of times what he does doesn't show up in the stat sheet. He's going to pass up open shots from the perimeter, but that means he's going to try to get the ball to a teammate for a better shot. And he did have a, a big layup and a foul in that uh, the middle of that second half to give Wisconsin yep. a 13 point lead. But what you need from him is good defense and knowing your role. And he did that very well against Ohio state. So it won't show up on the stat sheet in terms of production, but again, he was the only guy in the front court that came off the bench. The other minutes that you got, which were not very many off the bench, was Jordan Davis played six minutes and Kamari McGee played five. And that was your entire rotation in a vital Big Ten game. I think we should talk about that in a bit. Um, the lack of minutes there. <laughs> I mean, I know it's, again, it's February and you need these games at all costs. There's no doubt about that. And I think maybe you, you have to approach it that way if you had a little bit better record and you had a do you think they would approach this differently if they had a little bit better record? You mean did they play with a little bit more desperation and therefore ride the starters more? Yes. Perhaps. Okay. But it also comes back, I think, to the confidence that you have in in your key players. Um sure. I if if he if Greg had more confidence in guys like Marcus Ilver or Chris Hodges, I think they'd be out there and and right now, you've got to ride the best players that you can because they're the ones that are going to be the most productive. Yeah, the only two guys that were, uh, and I know plus minus isn't a great indicator of what's happening, but the only two guys with negative plus minuses were Jordan Davis with minus one and Kamari McGee with minus six. So for, for whatever that's worth. Uh, but those those three coming off the bench for the entire game took two shots, made one. They essentially were non-existent um i mean jordan davis and kamari mcgee essentially non-existent carter gilmore as i mentioned uh, i thought gave them good minutes especially on the defensive end all right so we get into i uh into the second half another good <laughs> what another good 12 for 12 minutes right a sol- i shouldn't say good a, a solid 12 minutes you you hold a 15 point lead so you've lost one point off your lead from halftime perfect absolutely perfect and then it wasn't so perfect. Uh, Connor Isijan 
gets a layup to go, a little putback layup, actually a really nice play by him, uh, gets blocked and then gets the layup back up there to give them a 62-47 lead with 7-18 left. Over the, fi- over the next 7-18, they go 0 for 9 from the field. That included 0 for 4 from Tyler Wall and 0 for 2 for him from the free throw line. It was, if you want to give an example offensively of how to blow a big lead, I think Wisconsin gave you a, a great map to how, to how to do it. I think that's fair to say. And they had some uncharacteristic turnovers in there, too. It kind of started when Chucky got an offensive foul for extending his arm. And a couple minutes later, Connor Siegen tries to drive the baseline and pass the ball, and he turns it over. Some of these were really difficult contested shots. One of them, Tyler Wall, had to force a shot at the shot clock buzzer. But that was because Stephen Crowell missed a wide open three off the side of the backboard. So at times, it's hard to explain uh, (laughs) how that can happen because there were some good looks and the kind of looks that were going in earlier in the game. And Ohio State took advantage. The Buckeyes deserve a lot of credit because obviously they were didn't have their head coach, hadn't played very well, were very desperate, and made this a game. And I would say this. Greg Gard is going to have a lot of film to show his team about what they need to do to improve. I suppose it's better to be doing that off of a win. But, yeah, it was a game that was well in hand. And all of a sudden, it's 62-60 to after a 13-0 Ohio State run. And honestly, it was a matter of Ohio State just ran out of time. There were 30 seconds <laughs> left. The, the, really, the Buckeyes had to foul. So Chucky goes to the line, makes two free throws, and now it's a 64-60 game. So it's a two-possession game with 24 seconds left, and you're in a you're in a difficult spot. If that game goes two more minutes, Ohio State probably wins. Fortunately for Wisconsin, it's only a 40-minute game, and they built a 15-point lead that was able to hold on. But obviously, just your fan makes you pull your hair out. Yeah, the and one like opportunity for Ohio State to make it a one point game, I thought mm-hmm. was obviously pretty significant um, because if it's a 62 61 game and Chucky's going to the line, I think the pressure's tilted up just a little bit. Obviously, 62 60 is not ideal, but you at, at minimum, you think you can have a three point lead going back down the other way. Um, and instead, it's a, a four point lead and, and not having to necessarily worry about them making a crazy shot or making a crazy play. And he came back down and got another. One to go, um, went three for four there in the final, what, 30 seconds of the game. So great job by him. And I thought defensively, defensively in that last 718, especially in the last few minutes, they did enough. Uh, I know that Ohio State went on that run, but there was a stretch there where it was like a 62-56 game and he had Max Klesman out of a timeout, draw a charge, and on the next possession, you get the steal. Uh, I think it was Connor Asijin got the seat, uh, got the steal. So the defense, I thought, while not great when you're going on a 13-0 run, there was there was a stretch there when it was 62-56 that it could have gone a lot closer because I think they got to 62-56 with about, what, like three minutes left, 320-something left? So there was a ton of time left on the clock, and it took them a while to get all the way back to 62-60. to um, Yeah, I mean, I... I... That is a good way to look at it. It's hard. It's hard. What do you, to, we have to, we have to, well, do it that. is. I mean, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard not to look at what they did on the offensive side of the ball, but I think that is a salient point that you're making and that if Ohio state had been able to get a couple more buckets, this game turns on its head even more. And it was just kind of a log jam there for a couple minutes um, because neither team could score. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that you'd hear Greg Gard say a lot is that to never let your offense affect your defense. And so for them to be able to get a couple critical stops in a game like this obviously made a big difference. Um, but, man, it's this this never should have been this close. And maybe you could argue Wisconsin never should have had a lead that that big. 
but uh, it's, I don't want to say it's hard to feel good about a win like this because it's a, a massive one for Wisconsin, but just the way that it finished makes you wonder what kind of team, I mean, which version of this team is going to show up in any given situation. Cause that's been an issue too, is there've been so many games where Wisconsin is close and then the second half starts or, or there's a run where the other team just seems to blow it wide open. And it's a matter of being consistent. So they were a, a excellent team for 33 minutes. And for the last seven um, it was just a totally different team. Yeah. So I mentioned Tyler wall struggles down the stretch. Yeah. Um, he was also the defender on a couple of uh, the baskets that Ohio State scored, though I don't necessarily think the defense is bad. I thought they made some mm-hmm. tough some tough shots, but he finishes with five points. He was two for ten for the game, uh, one for five from the free throw line. A guy who was shooting seventy percent earlier this year, definitely not in that uh, right now. It's a, it's a team wide issue. They're shooting fifty nine percent. I should say they shot fifty nine percent. They're shooting uh, right around sixty six percent, which is. Um, Going Italy, going into yesterday was ranked, I think, 306th in the country in, in free throw percentage. But just Tyler Wall's game. And I don't know how many times we've talked about it. I feel like we've talked about it a ton this year. What why are the what are the issues around the basket for him? Um because you know, because I don't think people believe that he's uh, when his pump fake, I don't people aren't taking it. People are not uh, respecting it whatsoever. And then he's just forcing shots up in really tough situations. Yeah, I watched this game especially closely, knowing that these were the kinds of questions that would be coming about his game. And the thing that stands out to me, and obviously I'm not a coach and I'm not with Tyler every day, but he's six foot nine, 225 pounds. That's what he's listed at. And he doesn't play big. It's almost like I feel like this is obviously only my perspective. He plays smaller than he is uh, because the way his game is designed, it's generally below the rim. Obviously, it's against a lot of other big postmen, but he puts himself in a situation where he's taking shots that, even though they're close to the basket, don't necessarily feel like the highest percentage of shots. He'll he, he because he of the way he plays, you know, he he's able to maneuver around players with his pump fakes and um and his footwork, but he'll pick up his dribble and then get in a spot where he's got to force a shot. And there were a lot of situations where he was under the bucket and yet he was taking a contested shot. There was one shot where he had, and it was a, a lefty layup and the shot ended up being contested because he started it basically from his hip. And so I think that's one thing that was really noticeable to me in this game against Ohio state is that even though he's a six, nine front court player, it feels at times as though he's playing smaller than he is because it's more of a below the rim type of game where it becomes contested shots. And it's, I know we've discussed before, but his, his two point shooting percentage right now, he's 75 for 173. That's 43.3%. You should never be that low. And a lot, most of your shots are in the paint from, you know, four or five feet in. He's not the kind of player who's going to take those long two point jumpers. So when you take out the three point shots, that's where he's at is 43% it obviously needs to be better. And so I think there are times where he just doesn't do himself any favors. Um, but there's other times where that style of play obviously is able to work. So you kind of have to just accept what Tyler offers and hope that he'll become the type of player that he has been previously, where he's able to convert more of those. Um, but it, it, look, it wasn't a good game for him uh, all the way around. Um, and that happens. And I'm I'm willing to just say, he had a really rough night. He's still their top scorer, one of their best players. But 
it's a matter of figuring out how to be more consistent in the post when you make those moves, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would add on to that, that uh, Greg Gard was asked about it after the game. And he feels like he's playing sped up, like uh, where everything is, is very fast and where he, he says he's trying to make up for missing three games on every possession. You know what I mean? Like the, the time that he missed where Wisconsin, where this, let's be fair about it, this, this is where the, the slide started. When he gets injured against Minnesota, that's where the losing six or seven started. And he missed the three games, and he hasn't been great since returning. Now, I think it's also probably fair to say that he wasn't shooting necessarily great around the basket even before his injury. But um, it, it does feel at times he's trying to sp- play sped up. And then the other thing he said was some of the shots late, uh, some of those shots that he was trying to you know, force around the basket, he, Greg Gard called it the post a playmaker spot. Just because the ball's in there doesn't mean it has to go up on the basket. And there's, you know, it's okay to kick it out. It's okay to look for somebody else. And sometimes the clock's running down, and that's what you got to do. But I'm thinking back to the, was the, it was the Penn State game where Stephen Crow was going crazy. And the last two possessions offensively for Wisconsin were, you know, Tyler Wall backing guys down. And it's not that he get, didn't get good looks, but, you know, sometimes there's better options. Uh, than what necessarily uh, Tyler's been getting. I think, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, you look at some of the shots late, there were a couple instances where he picked up his dribble and forced a shot inside. And if you've got other guys that are scoring well, and I think Tyler knows this, you obviously can get them a ball, but that that's part of his game too. And a lot of the ways that he scores is he will take a guy off the dribble, um, back him down into the paint. But it just seems like lately he's found himself in situations where it's, um, not to his advantage. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think we'll see a turnaround from Tyler uh, again. The, I think the further away he gets from the injury, um, the more consistent he'll be, but obviously not his best game against Ohio state. Yep. For sure. Is there anything else you wanted to, that you had uh, for this one? No, I think we pretty much covered it. You mentioned Wisconsin entered the game 306 in the country in free throw shooting. They go 13 for 22. And, and as we're having this discussion, they're now 317th. Not in the country in free throw shooting and 12th in the Big Ten. And the only two teams that are worse are Nebraska and Minnesota, the two worst teams in the league. So there, there is a bit of a correlation there. And uh, again, it's this is just kind of what this Wisconsin team appears to be at this point. And obviously that's got an opportunity to cost you big time in, in tight games. Yeah, for sure. All right. So as you mentioned, you knew there were going to be certain questions coming out of this one, right? So that's exactly what happened when we we dive into our Twitter questions here, and uh, a lot of them obviously were frustrated with uh, Tyler Wall, and uh, I believe the first two of them are what happened to Tyler Wall and what the fuck excuse me what the hell happened to Tyler Wall. Uh, those are the those are the two first questions, and I think we kind of already addressed it. But do you see any uh, outside of his struggles down low? Do you see anything else when you look at his game where he's struggling and why? Well. Obviously, that the free throw line, uh, I don't have a yeah. good reason why. Sometimes it just happens. It's really been a challenge for him this season. Um, but I also think sometimes it just takes one good game to kind of get back on track. And and I think he's certainly capable of it. He's had some really good games in his career, some really good games this season. And like we talked about at various stages with the big three, Wisconsin's going to need all of them to make a run here down the stretch. This isn't a Twitter question, but is Connor Seijin now part of the uh, 
Uh, is, is it a big four now? <laughs> I put him in there for okay. a true freshman to come in and average double figures and earn a starting spot. He's been, for the most part, very consistent. He's clearly their best shooter. He's got no conscience when he takes shots. Um, I, I obviously, you know, I feel I love watching him play, and and I think he's got to be considered there because he's been he's been outstanding for the most part. And he ended up with seven rebounds in that game, which is notable too. That's second on the team behind Crowell's nine. So he's giving. It's not just giving you scoring. He's also doing some other things very well. Yeah, and I thought he actually had a nice bounce back game defensively. We we mm-hmm. he struggled against Illinois. It really wasn't a fair matchup, um, but it was kind of what he was forced into do having to, having to guard um, Mayer the way that he did. Uh, and Mayer just, I mean, he's that's just that's a tough matchup for anybody, but especially a guy who's you know several inches shorter and uh, quite a few pounds less and about what four or five years younger. It was a tough matchup, but I thought he bounced back and, and chased. Uh, McNeil over the floor yesterday and that kid's a good shooter and he didn't get a ton of open looks um, thanks to Connor. I will say in the, and I think that's actually a question that, that pops up here. Uh, where is it? Uh, now I can't seem to find it, but um, there was a question in, in here about getting Connor season more shots running offense for him. Um, he only took four shots in the second half. Uh, went one for four. Is there a way to get him more shots when it's working because it it's kind of funny they they ran offense for him and I'm not saying they didn't uh, uh in the second half but they ran some some things for him against Illinois when he was struggling um yeah. and you know he got some open looks wasn't able to knock him down but is there a way to get him you know just get him a look or two uh when when things are not going well well yeah sure you drop plays to to free him up yeah. off screens and and that's really absolutely um I th- also i think it says a lot about him that he was coming off his worst game against illinois to play the, the way that he did against ohio state just a few days later in that game against illinois where he goes zero for five from the field and zero for four from three but i've also been impressed at times where he's able to get himself open because he's such a smart player with his cutting ability there are times where he'll curl off a screen and find his way into the lane for a short jumper or, or layups he's not at this stage in his career, the type of player where you just get him the ball and clear out and he's going to break a guy down. But he's such an excellent shooter that absolutely there are ways that you can free him up off design plays and screens. And I mean, I'm all for seeing him shoot the ball more because he generally shoots it at, at such a high clip. And he's the type of guy that at times all it takes is one and he can really get rolling. Yeah, for sure. So there are obviously a bunch of questions about the second half and the inability to score. Um, Joe says, uh, how does UW go final 7-18 without a made field goal after building an 18-point lead? Chucky step backs, crowd three, forcing the wall. How do they stray so far from what worked through the majority of the game? Hashtag Skittles and Rainbows. <laughs> uh, we got a long-time listener there to remember. Yeah. Remember well, back was, was, as far as last week. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also think there's something to be said for just tightening up in a situation as Ohio State starts scoring a little bit and the crowd gets louder and you're on the road and you're desperate for a win. But they're just mistakes that compound. Because, again, some of those were contested shots, but some of them were open shots that we've seen Chucky and Steven hit countless times. Chucky had a couple step-back opportunities, which obviously aren't always the easiest, but he's made so many of those over the, the course of his short career here. Stephen, as I mentioned before, had a wide open three that hits the side of the backboard, and you're not helping yourself when you turn the ball over twice. Um, as I said, Chucky had the offensive foul, and and Connor threw a ball away. So 
it just sort of compounds. I don't know that there's anything you can do to say you have to be significantly different. Uh, it's a learning experience clearly, but some of that stuff you just got to execute because they've done it before. I feel like Wisconsin fans are kind of scarred by long droughts of not scoring. Um, And that was kind of the question that Chris was asking. He says, why does Wisconsin consistently have these long scoring droughts? This program has suffered from them for ages, it seems. Uh, I kind of feel like at times, maybe not anymore, but it used to be like them in Virginia, and we all know why. Um, But it just felt like scoring droughts were, that's just, hey, it's going to come. It's going to be. But I but I also feel like that's just because we watch Wisconsin all the time. And I, I that think might, that there are that might be there, true. there are scoring droughts everywhere, but it does feel like a Wisconsin issue uh, quite a bit. I also feel as though when you're a low possession team and you have the ball for 28 seconds on every possession, if you miss a shot and you go play good defense and you miss another shot, two minutes have passed and you've had two possessions and you don't have any points. So it just, it's even more magnified. If you're a high possession team and you miss one, you're going to have far more opportunities to score. So I think that goes into it as well. But obviously, it's this is an extreme example to go more than seven minutes to close a game without a made field goal. And again, they were fortunate that this game didn't last 42 minutes. <laughs> We've talked about the lack of depth. Ben says, yeah. uh, are the second half slumps a symptom of fatigue from their lack of depth? Obviously, missing Klesman and, and Wall for that period of time, but also not having uh, uh, Jacoby Neath as well. And I know, again, I don't know how many minutes he'd be playing, but he would definitely be playing minutes um, and, and would probably be the first or second guy off the bench. Well, if you're looking for potential reasons why it's been a struggle, it certainly makes sense. And and this Ohio State game, all five starters played at least 32 minutes. And Max played 32 and the rest played either 34 or 35, that is an awful lot. And you're in the the portion of the season where you basically got a game every three days. So I, yeah, it's Neath wasn't the type of guy, at least based on what we saw. And it's not necessarily fair because he wasn't always healthy, but who was going to give you a ton in terms of filling the stat sheet, but eating up some key minutes uh, are obviously really important to allow your starters to rest. And so I, I think that's, I think that's a, a viable reason for what we're seeing, but then it sort of becomes excuse making because uh, a lot of starters play heavy minutes. But right now they're in a spot where um, I wonder what's going to change in, in the future because we've seen some really interesting lineups. Um, I mean, again, we've seen Marcus Silver. We've seen Chris Hodges out there. If somebody gets in foul trouble, we've seen Isaac Lindsay eat up some minutes in the backcourt and he wasn't out there. So um, but there's a clear drop off from your starting group to your reserves. And that's why we're seeing the stars play so many minutes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, our friend Ryan asks, uh, how have crawl and wall regressed so much at the free throw line? Uh, we kind of talked about this last week. Steven crow was an 80% free throw shooter last year. Attempts obviously up, but he's sitting at, uh, 60% right now. Tyler wall shot 70% last year was actually, at 70 uh, much of this year, but is now sitting at 61 and a half percent. I don't know if I always have a, a great answer for this. I mean, Steven's minutes have gone up. I think there's something to be said for that. If you're going to talk about fatigue or how much you're asked to do. Um, even last year, the crowd played about 25.4 minutes per game, even though he started every game. And now he's playing about 31 minutes a game. So 
I think those minutes can tend to add up. Sometimes it's inexplicable. It really is to go from 80% to 60%. But that one's a hard one to answer. I would say, though, they're not the only two where we've seen this happen. At Wisconsin, no. (laughs) Uh, And I shouldn't even say at Wisconsin. A lot of places, uh, you you get guys that are really good free throw shooters or solid free throw shooters, and they, for whatever reason, uh, end up not being so solid. Um, Nigel Hayes, how you doing? Um, Ryan Evans, how you doing? Those things just happen. Um, I don't know if they're. You're right. I don't. I don't think that's. There's an explanation for it. That was another. That was actually another area where guard said he thought Tyler needs to just relax and take a breath and slow down because um, he's a much better free throw shooter than what we've seen uh, of him, especially of late. But just looking at his field goal percentage from last year to this year, I think that is just the more what the heck happened thing. Um, I know you mentioned he's well, he shooting, what did you say, 43% on twos this year? Yeah, 43.3% on two-pointers at this point. And I don't know exactly what the two-point percentage was, but just the overall field goal percentage last year was 51.6, and that was with him shooting 16% from three. So um, that's that drop-off is just uh, insane. And obviously, both numbers are important in terms of free throws and field goal percentage, but the, the field goal percentage just um, doesn't make a ton of sense for me. Um, but either way, Jack says, do you have... I don't think anybody does, but I'll ask you anyways. Does anyone have a good read on if Tyler Wall is going to come back next year with a fifth year uh, for uh, to use that COVID year? I don't. And it's interesting because this is the kind of question that you'd want to ask, but it's almost not really appropriate to ask in this point of the season. Yeah. Uh, we will get an answer in probably six weeks, five or six weeks, I would think. Or maybe he'll take a little bit of time after the season. But it does feel like... Uh, a viable possibility because again, like we talked about with Brad Davison, Tyler is, is not waiting on an NBA opportunity. And if he wants to come back, obviously Wisconsin would welcome him with open arms and it would give this team a significant lift heading into next season. Um, a couple more here. Joe says, and this is obviously maybe a bigger conversation, but he says, how can the basketball program use the varsity collective? Like the program, uh, like the football program has. Well, I think there's some unknowns here because the assumption is that the football program has gotten all these transfers and they're recruiting reasonably well. And so the collective must be throwing some money at them, but we don't actually know what that collective is up to. They've been very quiet in terms of, and this is since the start and it's been intentional that uh, they don't want to make it about money. They haven't divulged any figures. So it's really hard to know what percentage of any of these guys coming has to do with NIL and a collective. My feel, and we've talked about this on the camp, is that it has way more to do with the energy and enthusiasm of a new coaching staff and offense that's tremendously intriguing and doing something different and and, uh, guys wanting to be a part of that. But so I don't know how what even the correlation is between the football side and the basketball side. And the other thing is... um, They've also made it clear that they're going to follow NCAA rules. The collective has. I wrote a story about this back in September. They're not going to be paying high school prospects to induce them to come to school. That is not how it's going to work in the collective. And again, that's not how it's supposed to work anywhere. I think we've seen uh, that that is clearly not the case at other places. But they look at it more of this this holistic ideal. And once you're here, you're going to have some great opportunities. Um 
And maybe that's part of it is in your messaging and the way you sell your program to prospective recruits and, and maybe even more so transfer players. You show them what kind of opportunities there are. But this isn't a situation, at least from my understanding, where the collective is just going to throw a wad of cash at dudes and you're suddenly going to start reeling in guys you had no business getting before. That's how I understand it at this point. I would agree. And I think there's been a lot made of, gosh, look what they did for the football program in Times Square. I don't think that that was about the football program. I think that was about the collective. I think that was about raising awareness and raising support for the collective itself and, and getting it out there to alums and the idea that there is an opportunity to make an impact uh, on a program and on a school. Like it's people saying, well, why, where's the volleyball team? Where's the basketball team? Why isn't that that you're trying to take advantage of un, almost unprecedented excitement around the football team? That's what you're trying to do. And they've done a very good job of it. And that that banner or the, the, the 15 minute billboard that they put up was a great way to do it. And I'm, I'm sure people now are more aware of it. And that's exactly what I think the point of it was. But um, I don't think it was some slight to the basketball team or anything like that. But um, teach his own. Wisconsin will be back home on Sunday to take on Northwestern. We will be back next week. Jesse, thank you very much. Thank you, Zach. All right. Until then, you've been listening to The Swing.